our series today. Uh, I believe in doctrine. Hopefully you believe in doctrine too. Uh, the Word of God says in uh, 2 Timothy uh, 4.3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I see that happening in our world today. And it, it saddens me greatly. Um, if you don't know this, the Bible is offensive. Uh, the Bible is offensive because it tells us in the scripture from God that we are sinners. We are less than. It tells us that we are guilty and we deserve punishment. Um, and that's, that's offensive. It's also offensive because it tells us that the only way that we can receive salvation is by the, by the acts, by the faithfulness, by the sacrifice of somebody else. That's offensive, especially in a culture where we think, you know, hey, I, I've got this, I can do this on my own. Scripture is offensive because it, it, it tells people the things that they're doing that is wrong, and nobody wants to hear that. Um, but being offensive doesn't make it untrue. Being offensive doesn't make it wrong, and does, being offensive doesn't change that it's from God, okay? So as we look at this, uh, my, my wife uh, told me before, and so if, if you feel like, if, if you've been attending for a while, and what we covered today, and you're going to say, hey, didn't, didn't we cover that uh, recently when you went through the Hot Topic series? Uh, yes. Uh, and so my wife is right. You are correct. You're not imagining this. The difference is we used the Hot Topic series to cover each of these individually more more in depth today, it's going to be more broad brush because what we're talking about is what our statement of faith, what our constitution has in there. And so uh, a lot of this isn't there, but some of it isn't. And you're going to know that by what we talk about. So that's the precursor. But what's happening in our world today is that we are accumulating for ourselves teachers to suit our own passions, to read from scripture or use scripture to tell us things that we want to hear. Well, if that's the kind of pastor that you're looking for, um, that's not who I am. And uh, I'm, I'm only like sort of sorry about that. Uh, I'm sorry because you will probably be offended by some things that are set up here, but I want you to know that I love you dearly. And so it's not my goal to hurt anyone. But today what we're going to talk about is what does the Bible teach about racism and sexism, what the Bible teaches about abortion, what the Bible teaches about transgenderism, what the Bible teaches about marijuana or mushroom use, and uh, I thought about this afterwards, so it's not in my notes, but I'm going to touch on it real quickly, what the Bible talks about, about aliens. Uh, so I know that's a lot of stuff for us to cover today, okay? Um, if you have questions afterwards, please talk to me. I, I want to talk with you. I want to have a dialogue with you. And if you disagree with anything that I've said, then also please come talk to me. I, I want to have that dialogue with you because I love you. Um, and then lastly, when I what we're going to end on is, okay, what the Bible teaches about those things, but then also how we as Christians are to respond to a world that talks about these things, okay? Uh, so I want to have some practical application of what the Bible teaches of these things, all right? That's where, we're, that's where I'm hoping to go this morning. Are you guys ready? Okay, let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we give you glory and we praise you for you are worthy. We recognize the authority of your word and we want to purpose our hearts to agree with it and to stand upon it for your doctrine and for the practice of Christ-likeness in this life and cling to the hope of Christ for the world to come. Lord, we confess that we are often afraid of man, either to stand for you or to make a defense of you. 
We thank you, Father, for being patient and long-suffering with us. Lord, we pray that you would grant us wisdom to work out our faith by wisdom and discernment, that we would apply your word to our lives and each and every situation, and we would allow you to bring us into and out of all of those situations, trusting your sovereignty. Help us, we pray, to stand firm during times of adversity and in the face of falsity. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen. So if you are a note taker, uh, we have notes coming up. If, if you like to be a note taker, but you didn't know that we have notes, um, if you want a copy of the notes, raise your hand and Gary will grab them for you. And they're just uh, downstairs. And so he, he can grab those to you. So if that's you, just raise your hand and he'll bring those to you. Uh, here's the first blanks for you to fill in, okay? What does the Bible teach about racism, sexism, and abortion? I'm going to handle all those together. Um, and so those are your blanks there if you want to do that, racism, sexism, and abortion. Uh, the first sub-point of that heading is basically this. We are made in the image of God. And so that's your fill in there. We are made in the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So I want to be very clear, as image bearers, both men and women are of value. Um, we went to our vacation recently, and one of the topics that was covered, uh, so there's, there's two different uh, preachers that we go to, and so m maybe this is strange to you, uh, when, when we go on family vacation, we also go and we listen to preaching like every day. Um, maybe for you, you're like, that doesn't sound like vacation. Well, I've got bad news for you. Um, that's probably a lot of what heaven's going to be like. So you should get used to that being vacation for you too, I, I, I hope. Um, but uh, we, so we had the joy of hearing two different, two different speakers. Um, if you've ever heard of Josh McDowell, who wrote uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uh, that was one of them that came. And so, so that was interesting. And then there was another gentleman of which I'm sorry that his name escapes me. But I actually, for me personally, I got more out of his messages. And so you can ask my wife, who that speaker was. Uh, but he was talking about specifically, somebody had came up to him and said, uh, you know, why does God love his sons more than his daughters? And so he had a five-part sermon series on that, okay? Um, again, if you're curious about his name or where you can find that stuff, I'm sure Lisa can help you find that. I found it valuable for myself uh, to help me love my wife better, to help me love my sisters in Christ better, to help me love my daughter better, and all those kind of things, okay? But what does the Bible teach about racism, sexism, and abortion? We are all made in the image of God. Both male and female are created as image bearers. So you ought to, already off the bat, what does the Bible say about sexism? Well, it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, sexism is sinful. Because, correct me, my understanding of sexism as a whole is basically the, 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 the belief system that one gender is superior to another gender. And, and many will point at scripture texts and use them wrongly to, in, to, to even say, like, you see the Bible teaches that because it says this or that as far as it goes when it comes to, when it comes to um, the roles that we are to have. Well, roles and worth are two so different things. And so we need to understand that the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so as image bearers, both men and women are of intense value. Both the young and the old are of value. And so that's why I put these together, right? And as image bearers, all nations and races are of value. 
So because humanity is made in the image of God, that means that it doesn't matter if you are in utero or in assisted living, that you have the same value before your creator. It doesn't matter if you have a, a what's a high IQ? Clearly, I don't have one. <laughs> a 200? Does that seem high? I don't know. 200 is like off the charts? Okay. So it doesn't matter if you have a 200 IQ or one more like myself. Would 70 be normal then if 200 is off the charts? So 70, like me. It does, what I'm saying is, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter if you're some high-strung academic or if you're just a regular Joe, or for that matter, if, if you have Down syndrome or some other kind of learning disorder. In God's eyes, you are of immense value. And so clearly, then, the same thing is as an image bearer, it doesn't matter the shade of melanin in your skin or the shape of your facial features or the color of your eyes or the consistency of your hair. All of these things are so foolish for us to divide over. And by the way, sinful. And so we are made in the image of God. What does the Bible teach about those things? Uh, hopefully that has begun to help you understand what the Bible teaches about that, but we're going to move on. All nations will one day be in heaven. Did you realize that? Revelation 7, 9 says, After this, I looked... Oh, sorry, good job. Uh, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. You know, you, you know, God caused diversity in humanity. Um, I can't remember who it was that I was, I was, I was had the privilege of, of visiting with recently. Um, but he said something to the effect of, you know, me and my wife, we're, we're, we've been married for such a long time. We're very similar. Uh, but we don't have everything in common because, because if we were exact, if two people are exactly the same, then one of them is unnecessary. That's one of the blessings of God's variety in, cre- in human creation. He caused diversity in humanity. Now, I-, I believe that that happened originally at the Tower of Babel as he spread the nations out. And then we see even in his gospel that the, the um, how's it, the, the recreation or the renewal, the, the, the restoration of all these things is happening in his kingdom, as he brings all those nations back into one people, the people of God. God is in the process of redeeming all of these people groups. And by the way, all of their individual uh, proclivities that they have amongst themselves. I mean, don't be deceived. I, I, I don't think, now there's a book by Randy Alcorn that I just got done reading. That was the name of the book that I was talking about before. I kind of hinted at it. Randy Alcorn, the name of it is Heaven. Um, it's, a, it's a biggish book, but it is on Audible, guys, so we can get it too, right? If you're anything like me. So it's on Audible, uh, or there's a, a hard copy, uh, either one I would recommend to you. And it talks very much about uh, what he thinks heaven will be like. And I have to say that I agree with him. Uh, I didn't put all the time and effort that he did into picking the scriptures together and kind of laying it out in such a great way. Uh, But if you think that all of us up in heaven are just going to be sitting on clouds, 
playing harps, like staring into some light for all of eternity, then I don't think that you quite know uh, the creativity, the vastness, and the glory of our God. So personally, I believe that there will be uh, African tribes, just as there will be Asiatic cultures, and that they will be bringing all of their instruments to worship too. But also, it won't just be worship. I think you will have the joy of learning how to play the harp from David if you so choose. And you also uh, have the ability to, to learn uh, carpentry uh, from maybe Jesus himself. You remember he was doing that be, before he was, uh, did his main goal. Or, or if not from Jesus, then probably Joseph. I would assume that Joseph is there. So we have all of eternity to do all these other things and all these other nations. It talks about the ships of Tarshish are going to be brought into the kingdom and all of their goods. And so God is not only redeeming humans, he's redeeming cultures and heritages. Why do you think the Bible has genealogies so much? Not just to put you to sleep before <laughs> at bed. I, I haven't trouble falling asleep. What am I going to do? I know. I'll read a genealogy. Always works, right? No, no. Use it for what it's there for. It's to show you that God is faithful throughout generations and is redeeming whole people groups and whole cultures. So thirdly, what does the Bible teach about uh, racism, sexism, and, and abortion? God loves his sons and his daughters. Romans 8, 14 through 16, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so there's no second-class citizens in God's eyes. You were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb to be exactly like you are. And God died to redeem you out of sin into his family. And so there's no difference in God's eyes when it comes to male and female. Now, this is where people use this text, these two texts, wrongly, right? And you can see that where he says, well, uh, he's given you a spirit to fall back as to sons. Well, is there, no, is there no adoption as daughters? So does that mean in heaven that all you women are just going to turn into men? It's just going to be a bunch of men in heaven? No. It's not how God designed you. What he's saying is here is we have to understand the original context of it. Sons are the only ones that receive an inheritance in this time. Sons are the ones that receive the, reserve the right to claim the name of the Father at all times. Think of the Bible. Uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, right? Jonah, son of None. Now, I don't know if he was just adopted and he didn't have a dad or nobody claimed him or whatever, if his dad's name was actually none, right? But think of all the genealogies. So-and-so begot so-and-so and begot so-and-so and begot so-and-so. And maybe women are like, well, he didn't beget nothing. I'm here to tell you straight up. It was the women. Where is their name in the genealogy? Okay, well, well, don't be so offended. Understand that they too are included in that because God knows it takes two to do that. And so he's giving glory to those women as well. But these men are the ones that are receiving the inheritance. So when God says, I'm adopting you as sons, what that means, ladies, is you now have the full inheritance 
That's the weight that this is supposed to have during when he's writing this to, to Romans. It's the same inheritance for all. And then the other one that is often misused is Galatians 3.28, for there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is no male or female. And it's not teaching us that genders don't matter. Of course they do. God created us beautifully. But what that does teach us, what these things teach us together as we look at that, is that racism, sexism, and abortion are all sins, and they are disrespecting the image of God. Now, none of those are unforgivable sins. However, uh, let us understand that they are sins that we should repent of because we are image bearers of God. So, what does the Bible teach about gender and sexuality? Well, we kind of covered that, but I, I want to cover it a, a little bit more. Again, because people are bringing false teachers that are telling them what they want to hear. But the Bible is clear that we are formed according to God's plans, right? Uh, Psalm 139.13, you are formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Genesis 127, he created a man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Now, it's not on the screen, but if you want to write it down, Matthew 19.4. Uh, Jesus, he answered them and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And so our world today, especially here in the West, tells us that you, know, you, can, you can pick what you want to be. And that's not accurate according to God's word. The Bible is clear that God has formed us according to his plans. Um, I, I have a buddy who I just went to go see uh, who, who um, had a son two years ago, and he is now the fourth. And I was so thankful for him because, you know, if you're passing that on for three generations, you, you, you kind of feel probably an, an obligation to, to pass it on to the fourth, I, I, would, I, would, I would think, to some degree. And he had the joy to do that. But, you know, he wasn't guaranteed if he was going to have that son, and he couldn't pick when that child was in the womb if it would be a boy or a girl. And I know him. I know he would be just as thankful if he had another precious little girl as he did his, his precious little boy, and so he praises the Lord for that. But the Bible is clear that it is God who formed us. Psalm 139, 13. For you farmed, you fo not farmed, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So this is the danger when society says something like, well, how do they put it? I, I want to try to be accurate with it. You were, uh, when the baby comes out and it says you were, you were given that gender, they, they, they guessed They'll say that. They, you guessed at their gender. And so oftentimes you guess right, sometimes you guess wrong, but you guessed at their... Or, oh, the gender you were assigned. That's what they use. The gender you were assigned at birth. It's like, no, my friend, it wasn't the gender that the doctor assigned to you. It was the gender that God created you. And if we trust God's sovereignty, it was the gender that God designated for you to be before the foundations of the world. And it is in that that the image bearing of God finds its glory when we, when we accept and we live in those genders and those roles according to God's word. It is a blessing to us and it is a glory to God who formed us. And so you are divinely designed by God exactly as you are. 
aside from, of course, don't say, so you're saying that God designed me to have, you know, this disorder or that disorder. No, 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 my friend. That is, that is because of sin in the world. I'm saying you, as, as how, how you are, apart from sin, that you are exactly the you that God always wanted for you to be. So I know it's kind of, you know, hallmarky or whatever, but like there is no other you. The, you are the only you that ever has been and ever will be, and that's wonderful. But also don't get too high on yourself because God says there is no, none good, no, not one, all this way, you know, so it's like, you know, we have to keep those in theological balance. And so also then uh, the, the Bible is clear about the appropriate use of our bodies sexually. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let the marriage uh, be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So even if society seeks to normalize certain behavior, we can't just read into that like, oh, well, you know, when the Bible was written, they didn't know about these things. And so clearly now that we know more, now we can, now we can kind of, we can doctor what scripture says because now we know more and now we have science and we have all this stuff. I don't know if you knew this, but there, like, have you ever heard of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah? Like, do you know, if you know anything about the Roman Empire or any of these cities or temple prostitution or any of this stuff, like, when they wrote this, they knew about any, any of the things that we're talking about today. They may have had different terms for it, but they knew about all of it. Now, could they fathom the idea of taking a shot with testosterone or with estrogen and changing those kind of things? Probably not, because they didn't have that kind of scientific idea. But even in the Old Testament, it talks about men who would dress up as women or, or vice versa and stuff like that. And it, it just, the Bible's clear about the appropriate use of our body sexually. There isn't really gray area there. And so it doesn't matter what society tries to normalize as all kinds of different sexual behavior. There's one and only one avenue that God has sanctioned. And so then lastly, and unfortunately, the Bible is clear with the consequences of this kind of sin. Revelation 21.8 says, But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so there's a couple things here that we need to see. He's not just homosexuality or transgenderism or, or, or whatever. Any, any kind of other sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. But it is among the list of other sins that God tells us. And he also tells us that all who persist in sexual sin, even if it's a heterosexual sin, I, you've heard don't commit adultery. What I say to you is if you've even looked at a woman with lust, then you commit adultery in your heart, right? And by the way, women lust too. This isn't just a man problem, especially not in our culture today. But all who persist in sexual sin, they're condemned to hell. That's what the Bible says. Not only are there spiritual consequences, but there are physical and emotional and societal consequences as well. 
Think of the diseases that are now out there. They've changed it since I was in school. They used to call them STDs, now they're STIs. I don't care what you call them. It doesn't matter. Um, and we don't need to get into any kind of graphic detail either. That's not what we're here for, and that's not what you want, and that's not uh, valuable. The point is they exist because of humanity's sin in this area. And there is real physical consequences. There is real emotional consequences. And there is real societal consequences. Look at the rate of divorce. And by the way, a lot of divorce, in part, at least one of the things they list is the use of pornography. Therefore, what the Bible teaches is clear. We are not able to change our gender that God has created us as male and female. The only acceptable form of sexual activity is that between a biologically heterosexual couple within the covenant of marriage, and that is it. And anything outside of that is sexual sin and needs to be repented of. So, this is maybe a weird one for you guys. What does the Bible teach about substance use? I know you're going to be like, well, I know it teaches about alcohol, but it doesn't say nothing about anything else. Well, you remember how I said before, well, the Bible doesn't say the word Trinity, but we kind of see it in there. The Bible doesn't use the word membership, but we do understand a body of believers. And what does the Bible teach about substance use? You're right. The Bible doesn't say anything about marijuana or cocaine or uh, heroin or like whatever, mushrooms, any of that stuff. The Bible doesn't say those things specifically but it has general principles that I'd like to talk to you about right now. You ready? So what does the Bible talk about substance use? All things that God made are good and have a use for us. That is not the only point. Hold on. And that was not a green light to any of you in this room. And I have talked to people and I have friends who have said this and quoted this text. And that's why I'm doing it for you. You ready? Genesis 1:29. And God said... Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree that has seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And they say, you see, God said it was good, God made them, it's natural, it's okay then, and we can, we can, we can partake in however we want to do. Well, in the beginning, since humans were without sin, they would have been no misuse of God's creation. But because of sin, Calvin an old theologian, said that our hearts are an idle factory and we continuously find new ways to sin. Uh, because there used to be a day where, you, you, you know, people wouldn't maybe misuse these things. And, and, and by the way, are there good uses for some of these different substances that we're talking about? Yes. And do you know how I know that? Because God made them. But I also know that most of the time, people are not using them the way that God intended them for or for the purposes that God has intended them for. And so all things that God made are good and have a use for us. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I would be teaching heresy if I said otherwise, because he has said that all these things are good and that he has made them. But my point with this is that when we misuse the good things that God has given us, that that is sinful. It's the same thing with sexuality, right? It's a good thing that God has given us to be 
fully enjoyed in the right context. And it's beautiful to God in the right context. And it's productive in the right context. And outside of that context, it is damaging and it is wounding and it is harmful for everybody involved. And so the same things, when we misuse the things God has given us, it is sinful. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, right? The Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. But wait a minute. Didn't he just say beforehand that God created all these things and all these things are good? And yet... Very shortly after that, he tells us there is actually a right and wrong use to use the good things that God has created. Isn't that crazy, right? And Ephesians in the New Testament, right? So Ephesians says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so because of our sin nature, we are bent toward the improper use of God's creation. Did you know, I I bet you did know, uh, there's a place... I thought I had it written down in my notes. It's either in Psalms or it's in Proverbs. I don't remember exactly, but there's a place where it actually says, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, so you'll have to Google this. So kind of write down my paraphrase. You can Google it later and you can find it. It says something basically to the lines of, you know, uh, give, give give wine to the people who are in pain or something like that and strong drink to the perishing, Okay. Now, when I read that, I go back to like Civil War, right? Or, or, or Revolutionary War. And I think, can you imagine not having something as they saw your leg off? That would be terrible. Terrible, right? So like purpose and place, okay? So is that what he's talking about? Also, remember like Paul said to Timothy, hey, I understand that your stomach is upset sometimes. Take a little wine with your water. That'll help your stomach. And so a lot of scholars think, well, that's probably to help kill the bacteria in the water. If you've ever traveled, you know all about that kind of stuff and and that kind of thing. But also, do you understand why, at least in Western cultures, why alcohol is often called spirits? Like, that's not a mistake. The Bible says, do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen, when you open yourself up to other things and fill yourself with those things, uh, that lets in other spirits. And so, I don't care if we're talking about uh, drinking Jack Daniels or if we're talking about smoking marijuana or licking a toad. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you say, oh, people do it. I mean, you don't pretend like you've never heard of this. Um, and by the way, pastor's been around the block. Like, I know a thing or two about what happens out in the world. I've never licked a toad. But there's things out there that I know of, okay? And the fact of the matter is that God has told us that when we, when we use those things, we shut our minds to the things of the Spirit, and, uh, and we open our minds to the things of other spirits, In the New Testament, remember it talks about that the spirits left the person, swept and left in order, and then finding no place to rest, they go back to that person and take seven other spirits worse than themselves, and the place of that person is worse than it was beforehand. There is a real spiritual war out there. And by the way, this brings me to aliens. Um, Not because I think you have to be high to believe in aliens. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. Scripture talks about angels in a way, to me, that seems very alien. 
It talks about a wheel within a wheel that's covered with eyes. It talks about, you know, the head of a, a, an eagle and the face of a man and then an ox and then a lion. It talks about having six wings. It talks about... Now, we, because I believe Satan has influenced our culture, when we think of angels, right? When I think of angels and demons, I think of Goofy. You guys remember, <laughs> like that Goofy from, and I think of Goofy with like, you know, the little red pitchfork guy on this shoulder and the little angel, you know, on this shoulder and it looks just like him and it's got the halo and it's got the harp. That's what he's got, right? You know, you know and then the, the, the demon with the, the cape and the horns and the little pitchfork, I'm like, and that's what we think, right? That's not scriptural. And so I believe Satanic. I believe Satan wants us to think of demons and angels wrongly. So it was very clear in Scripture that angels could reveal themselves in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I think that as we approach the latter days, I think that they are becoming all the more emboldened, especially demonic uh, uh, powers, because they, they don't care. And so I think that they are very likely uh, revealing themselves in various ways to be a part of the deception to cause people to fall away from Christianity. And by the way, the Bible itself does not mention angels or other worlds. And I don't know about you, but I've got enough trouble dealing with my own heart in my own world. I don't need to worry about other worlds. And so just wisdom, I think, teaches us that. Now, is this interesting stuff? Am I rebuking you for being interesting in it? No, not at all. I'm interested in it too. If aliens all of a sudden do land, does that mean that the Bible's false? No, because I don't believe in aliens. So I think that they're probably just demons in disguise uh, and or we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but no. Um, and so we can have those conversations. If you want to buy me coffee, that's fine. Just be prepared for it to be a long conversation. That's on you. Um, but when we misuse the things that God has given us, when we open our minds to these different things, you will interact with the spiritual. But I believe it will not be the spirit that you want to interact with if you know Christ. So how can we know the difference? Maybe that's a good question. I hope it's a good question. It's what we're going to talk about next. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Uh, 1 Corinthians in 10.23, which isn't up there, but uh, I want to read that to you. Uh, he says the same thing. Uh, all things are lawful, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, the next one that is on there is 1 John 4.1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So this may be a very simplistic way to answer this question, but how are we going to know the difference? Well, Read the Bible and pray. Seek discernment. You see these group of people around you? Seek their counsel and their wisdom. Seek, seek good scholarly research that are Christians. And even from days past. Form your opinions not based on what medical doctors say necessarily. Form your opinions based on what the scripture says. Do I think that there is reason for prescription of certain things to certain people for certain ailments? Probably. But I also think that there is a heart condition that goes along with that, that they also really ought to be weighing and praying through and also seeking the help of other Christian brothers and sisters in their lives. Because the scripture says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. All things don't build up. So this may seem very simplistic, but the Bible is clear. When we misuse the things that God has given to us, 
It's dishonoring to God and it's sinful. Now, if you were looking for some kind of a legalistic checkbox, John says, this is okay and that's not okay. I'm not going to do that for you. You have to study God's word. And I believe when you do so, seeking Christ and praying for the Spirit, that he will give you the revelation for each of your individual circumstances. So, how do we respond to a world that teaches different things in this area? How does the Bible teach us to respond to the world? Well, I hope these aren't a shock to you. The first one is this, expect for others to sin against you and God. You know, uh, I have never in my life, I bet it's the same for you, I've never once in my life been mad at a chicken for laying an egg. Have you? I've never single time. Now, you may be a little annoyed with your chickens when they don't lay an egg because you go and you expect an egg. But you're never upset with the chicken for laying the egg. So how are we to be upset with people who, who don't claim Christ to act in a way that is not honoring to Christ? I mean, expect for others to sin against you and God. Now, I'm not saying have a jaded worldview and be sour and salty to people all the time. But John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. Luke 21, 17 says, you will be hated by all for my namesake. It's going to happen. Uh, Ephesians 5, 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so, like, this world is utterly lost. And so I expect for people to cuss around me. I expect to smell the smell of marijuana when I walk through different places. I expect when I go to a concert to see drunken people. I, ex- I, I mean, I just expect that. You should expect that. You're not going to be a... F- I, listen, you're going to be a really lame Christian to be around if you insist that the world acts like Christ around you. You're going to lose your opportunity to witness because they're going to think you're lame and a stick in the mud and they're not going to want to be around you and so you're not going to have the opportunity to actually tell them about the real joy that is in Christ Jesus. And so you have to have that tension between not being involved with that and then also expecting nothing different from them because that is the world that we are in. Jesus himself said, I'm not saying that, they, like, if you were to not, part, if you were to not, how did he, I should not quote Jesus, especially if I can't think of it right. So we're going to move on. But also, isn't that stupid too? Like the red letters, it's all red letters. Didn't God write the whole thing? Like why is Jesus' words red and then Yahweh's words in the Old Testament not red? Like I've never understood that. So maybe I shouldn't quote anything out of the Bible unless I can get it right. And by the way, I'm pretty sure a wonderful woman who normally sits right there has told me that before. So the second thing though, that's important. Not only should we expect that, but speak the truth in love, knowing whom you serve. Uh, 
So I, I, I do not get mad at a chicken when I see a chicken laying an egg, but I would definitely have a problem if all of a sudden my Labrador started doing it, right? And so, brother or sister in Christ, if you claim Christ, we have to be different than the world. Zechariah 8, 16 through 17 says, These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Now that's Old Testament. In, in New Testament, Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, it says, uh, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And I really love this one. Proverbs 24, 11 says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. So not only should we assume that people are going to sin against us and that they are going to engage in things that the Bible teaches are wrong, but we ought to speak the truth in love knowing whom we serve. We serve the God who saves, amen? We serve the God who raises people from the dead. We serve the God who, who gives sight to the blind. We serve the God who has a longing and a desire that none should perish, but all should come to the, the knowledge of a saving faith in Christ Jesus. So speak the truth in love, knowing that, hey, hey, it's not for me to save anybody. And I can't save anybody. But what I can do is I can tell them about the one who does. And so out of love, I speak truth, even though truth is uncomfortable for people to hear because I love them. And so you should do that too. We as a church should be doing that. You must not bend the truth for anyone or anything. It is so sad to me. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Personally, if you, if you have, then I am deeply sorry for you. Um, sometimes people will have a certain biblical view and then somebody else in their family has a proclivity that is counter to that. And so then all of a sudden, their view on the Bible is changed because they love this person and they want to support this person. And that's not the right way to love that person. And that's not the right way to support that person. Because real love gives truth. And you must not bend the truth for anyone or anything knowing whom you serve because God is God. He will not be mocked and he will not bend and he will not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And praise God that he is because he tells us it is because he is unchangeable that we have any hope of salvation in the first place. Because if he was a fickle God, I don't know about y'all, but for me, he would have turned his back an awful long time ago. An awful long time ago, he would have changed his mind. And so then lastly, in grace and mercy, not celebration or encouragement. And you say, well, how do we know the difference? Well, uh, again, you are going to have to have clear convictions on how far is far enough when it comes to inclusion and acceptance and what that means. But we need to give people who are 
slaves to sin, who are blind, who do not know, who are dead. This is what Scripture says, dead in their trespasses. What can a dead person do? Nothing. What can a blind person see? Nothing. What can a deaf person hear? Nothing. Nothing. And so we need to give grace and mercy, but not celebration and encouragement. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom we are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Uh, Later on, different book, different letter to the same church. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 2, he says, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, that, and, and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. He's warning them from their sin. And so he's giving grace, he's giving mercy, but he's not celebrating or encouraging them. Always be ready to bring them to the cross of Christ whom you also owe your souls. And so, I guess practically how that applies here is, uh, for, for, my, for my own stance, um, anyone you know, anyone you ever meet, is welcome and encouraged to join us on Sunday morning, if they so choose. I don't care anything about them. That's not true. I, do, I care about them. You guys know what I'm saying, right? They're encouraged. Uh, I, it doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. Uh, I'll go so far as to tell you um, I don't care what they wear when they come here. For the most part. I don't, want, I don't want them to be stumbling blocks to cause people to lust, okay? But like, whatever. And I hope you feel the same way about that. But I also hope that you, you understand that We will share the truth of the gospel unashamedly. We will hold the line on biblical doctrine. We will call sin, sin. We will call sinners to repentance. And I hope you feel like me and like our big brother Paul. What do you say? And I'm the first who needs repentance and salvation because I know my own heart. I know my own sin. And so how do we respond to a world in these areas? Well, I expect them to sin against me and to hate my message because it's offensive. But we're going to speak the truth in love knowing that it is Christ who died for them. And we're going to do so in grace and mercy, but without celebration or encouragement because that's what Jesus would have us to do. So I know we've covered an awful lot of ground. I know that I've probably left some questions in your minds about this topic. I know, again, as my wife said, that this was kind of uh, hot topics distilled into a single uh, sermon. I also know that if you're new or visiting today, you're probably thinking, whoa. (laughs) But I want for all of us to end with this. Jesus loves you and gave his life for you on the cross. That he said that those who do not believe in him are going to perish because they don't have him. That he came, that he would be the perfect spotless lamb for us, the sacrifice on our account, because every single one of us, Romans says, none of us are good, none none is righteous before God. We all need a savior. And so let us end by praising the Lord 
who broke into our lives when we were blind, when we were deaf, when we were dead, and gave us new life. And let us also leave in joy, knowing that that same power, brother or sister, that same power that has raised us to new life is the power that will bring victory over all things eventually. And so we can rest in and rejoice in and long forward and look forward to that day. But also in the meantime, that we can stand in the fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because one is with us and we will come out on the other side not even smelling like smoke. And praise and honor and glory be to the Lamb for that. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, I know that today was a weighty day, a heavy day, an offensive day. Uh, God, but I pray that your gospel would shine forward and you would receive the glory as the, the lamb who was slain, as the one who has died, as the one who has purchased, as the one who has purified, as the one who can make straight paths that are crooked. God, we thank you that you have done that for us. And if there's anybody in this room who is still on the fence, who doesn't know, who doesn't believe, who doesn't have the assurance without the shadow of a doubt that they are saved by you, God, I pray that you, by your spirit, would speak into their hearts today, that they would place themselves at the foot of the cross and choose you as their savior. And I pray that you would heal and change and renew hearts and minds and bodies and souls, that you would remove sins and addictions and habits and hang-ups, and that you would bring us closer to a relationship with you and prepare us for the day that we would be brought home to celebrate with you. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and sing one more song before we close.